0: Facebook famously determined that if a new member invited 10 friends within 14 days, they were hooked for life. So, they focused religiously on driving the user experience to this key metric. If you apply this product-based approach to B2B sales, then you can identify those users that are ready to talk. And this method is known as the Product Qualified Lead, or PQL. So, if you sell in a freemium, open-source, or trial model then the PQL method is critical to give your sales team visibility into who is ready to talk. So talk to your data team, or better yet, partner with Whaler's team of data scientists to develop a PQL model tailored specifically for your business. You'll be empowered by knowing exactly when a user is ready to convert. To see specific examples, go to getwhaler.com forward slash Andy that's G-E-T-W-H-A-L-R dot com forward slash Andy. And as a bonus, if you sign up to learn more about Whaler and PQLs, then Whaler will send you their optimized two-page master services contract that you can leverage for your own business, free of charge. It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to another edition of Frontline Friday with my regular and very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Now, before we get to the show, Bridget and I have a favorite ask of you. We really appreciate it. If you took the time right now to leave a review for this show on iTunes. And while you're there, click the button, subscribe to Accelerate. Make sure you get Frontline Friday automatically each week. Also, we need to hear from you. More specifically, we need your sales questions. I mean, what can we answer for you? What challenges do you have that we can help you with? So go to accelerate.fm forward slash frontline and enter your question there. Each month, we're going to select one listener's question to be the Question of the Month, and the winner will receive a fifty dollars Amazon gift card. So remember, go to accelerate.fm/frontline forward slash to give us your question and maybe win fifty bucks. So, Bridget, how are you today?
1: Fantastic. There you so, go. Now I feel like I should change it because it's so predictable. We'll have
0: a, I know, we'll have a new nickname for you.
1: I know that's good.
0: I like the captain though.
1: But all good. I do too. The idea of a cape and all that, as we've talked about, yeah. I like.
0: All right. Yeah, it's still on my list of things to have an illustration done.
1: Okay, good. Keep that on the list.
0: Yeah, Tippy actually, top. Actually, I should. Yeah. Let's see if I have a picture of you. I could take like the caricaturist over in Central Park. They could do see something.
1: and add a cape.
0: Add a cape. Yeah. Okay. Now we're All right. talking. All right, we're going to see. All right. Yeah, let's so... end the show.
1: End the show. <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give you some time back.
0: Okay. All right. So we're going to talk about books. It's another book episode one of the favorite episodes people have. We're going to talk about books we've read that have uh, we thought had interesting things to say. And what do you have? We'll start with you.
1: Okay. And you know, mine, well, I read all kinds You're making, kinds of you're making excuses things. for it already. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm just, I'm going to talk about like the books that I'm reading. They're not How to Crush Your Number.
0: How's That's that? okay. That's okay. Okay.
1: So the one, one of the ones I read recently, uh, a book by Jim Paul and Brendan Moynihan called What I Learned Losing a Million Dollars. Nice. And it was interesting. They had said as they were writing the book, um, one of the authors had said that there are so many books out there that talk about do this and uh, this is how you make a million and get rich quick. But there's so much to be learned uh, by failure. There's a lot to be learned when we lose. There's a lot to be learned when things don't go our way, and to not miss, not miss those lessons. And I think about this. I think about this in sales a lot. That there's some things we win, things we lose, and just being able to handle that. I mean, this was. I think he said he lost this amount of money in like 75 days. Whoa. And he talks, they talk a lot about the psychological reasons why someone would stay in a, why you would stay in a losing position. Um, And just trying to understand sort of that, the mental, the emotional that goes with the analytical and it was just it was a it was a it was just a really interesting just a really interesting uh, read and i guess it, for me the one other thing that he said in there which i thought was important also important just in life in general in sales for sure never tie your sense of self-worth to something that is external to you mm-hmm. and that you don't have control over right. and You know, he talked about some of the losses. It's a hard lesson. It's a hard lesson, and it's a lifelong lesson. Yes. And so some of the losses, yes, some you could control, some you can't. And so the same in sales. But if you've got your ego and self-worth tied to hitting a number, to being at the top, to a certain title, to making certain money, it's just, it's a hard life. It's a hard life, and it's going to be frustrating.
0: Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's all sorts of books written and research about. Hey, if you're what your goals are, right? I mean, if your goals are making money, or if your goal is getting that order, then your odds of actually achieving it decrease. You know, there's a certain amount of indirection that's that's uh, required from a psychological level in order to optimize your achievement. It doesn't mean you're not goal-oriented, it doesn't mean you're not you're not driven to some degree, but I think it's that that uh, the ability to create some sort of space, right? A gap there between right. your your personality and and the ultimate achievement that that yeah is a hallmark of, of high achievers and people that have more resilience than others.
1: Yeah, that notion of resilience so so important. And and they talked about this here when this trader, he actually, um, uh, this guy was a a trader on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. He Mm. actually had a seat on it. And when there was at one one point, and there were several points, but he'd lost money. one point, he had lost a bunch of money, and he called his boss. And his boss said, okay, but now you got to get back in there, and 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 you got to keep going. Like you can't, you can't let every loss devastate, you know. And you've got to figure out, okay, number, one, how much are you, are you willing to bet, mm-hmm. and then also, what do you do when there is a loss, and how do you recover? And this notion of resilience and really staying in it,
0: so critical,
1: so important.
0: It is, and it's it's that's sort of how you separate. <laughs> people so sort of early on in sales, at least I have, and people I've hired, they're certain, you know, new into sales, new into the profession. Is yeah, is there a certain amount of bounce back? And yeah, I recall people I hired when I was first, my first time being a manager, when I was wasn't really any older than the people I was hiring. And To me, that was always sort of a critical point. You know, the first deal, first sizable thing they're working on, if they lost, yeah, how'd they react? And you could almost predict uh, pretty reliably (laughs) whether they were somebody that was going to be able to, you know, have the resilience to keep on going, pick themselves up, continue to move forward, improve, take the loss for what it was, which was a learning opportunity, and then move on.
1: Yeah, and it's I I definitely that's one quality that I look for in salespeople is this resiliency. What are examples of just where something hasn't gone your way, where you've had a loss, where things haven't worked out? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you handle that, and what do you do? Because that's that's part of it in sales. You've got to be able to you've got to be able to deal with it.
0: Yeah, it's not the same as not caring. It's just because I've seen people that lost and didn't care, and they were the same as the people that lost or devastated in terms of <laughs> how well they turned out in the end. I yeah, mean, they're
1: right. They're very different.
0: Yeah, they're different, but it's the same result. I mean, you have to care. I mean, that's why you're in it. I mean, if you think you can sell without having an emotional stake in it, whether for trying to help the customer or yourself, yeah, you're just kidding yourself. So you, yeah. can't, you can't be completely divorced from the outcome, but it's what you do when it, when it happens, as you said. So, uh one I read that was good actually we, we touched on it last week, uh, more than touched on it is a book by Jeff Colvin humans are underrated mm-hmm. uh, What high Achievers know that Brilliant machines never will excellent book, anybody concerned about as they should be about what what your future is as a knowledge worker in an age where technology is is improving its ability to through artificial intelligence, machine learning and so on to to handle more and more jobs how do you? Maintain relevance. How do you increase your relevance going forward? Mm. And uh, Colvin's book is a a great read. Everybody should. I really recommend people picking up and read it because it speaks directly to sales.
1: And what were your so for for you? What were the biggest sort of ahas for you in that? As you and I've talked about, we've read about this for a long time. What were the What were the big ahas for you?
0: Well, I think was for me. It was. It was actually seeing someone other than myself who is a real <laughs> professional writer <laughs> you know doing the research and, and saying yeah this is these are the trends right as, as we look back on what's happened economically historically and how technology has impacted employment and what the current trend is and you know it's it's not favorable for for people who think things aren't changing and so if you understand the changes that are coming, you understand and identify, especially in sales, where we're, where we're different, right? where we can provide value that, that uh, machines can't and focus on those areas. And that is that point of interaction with a, with a customer. You know, it is that relationship, it is that connection, it is that, that uh, collaboration, co-creation of value, all that. Those are the things that are the province of humans, human to human, and he has a, a phrase in, in the book that I thought was really really interesting, um, which I was just going to dig up here. Um, you know, one of the key skills is being able to look someone in the eye, right? To look into someone's eyes metaphorically," his, his, his statement was, to "Look into someone's eyes." That turns out to be metaphorically and quite often literally, the key to high-value work in the coming economy. And, wow. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's true. In fact, I think, hmm. that's, I think that's part of the reason why you know, we see in cases like, yeah, you know, everybody's a big rush to inside sales. Certainly you understand from an economic standpoint based on certain products that are being sold. But the thing that's being missed is that face to face contact. And to the extent that you think that you don't need that, then you're going to find that your role is going to be able to be replaced.
1: Do you think that the face to face, like how, how much of that can be solved by Skype and video conferencing, where
0: Surely you're not, it. yeah. But not all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we have, you know, people will dispute this, but I, I think without a doubt, especially in the more complex enterprise oriented SaaS businesses, people need to be in front of the customers more frequently shorten the they'll shorten sales cycles, they'll increase their close rates, and they'll have longer term relationships with their customers.
1: Well and I think, you know, most salespeople I know want to be out in front of customers. They're not they're not the ones that are saying, I want to say.
0: Oh, yeah,
1: but it's it's the financial reality is expensive, sure. you know, to the cost, the time out of the office, etc. But so important also it can really um
0: It has has to be used wisely. Yeah, it does have to be used wisely. I mean, but I'll use the example I used before is, you know, 20 years ago when I was spending all my time in Europe and Asia selling these large multi million dollar communication systems, the truth was, yeah, I was only going over once a quarter, right? I mean, I'd, I'd see a customer, if somebody was buying something, you know, worth a lot of money, I was maybe seeing them once before they signed the order. Otherwise, it's all yeah. done over the phone. So it's not like right. your every call. It's not like you're a field salesperson, but you can't not do it at all. And even field salespeople use the phone. Sure. So so it's you know the economic argument is really a you know a red herring as far as I'm concerned because if you're a manager and you're managing it appropriately, is you need to be able to use that as you always have, as it's always been the case for a long, long time. Use the travel strategically to make something right. happen.
1: And that's all like you said, that's always been the case. Always been the case. Always been the case. Right.
0: So economics is not gonna it's not gonna kill your cost of acquisition, especially if you have a lifetime contract value of of you know, over a hundred thousand dollars to put somebody on a plane to make a sales call, especially if you have multiple calls in a single location. You know, it's just not. But if you increase your conversion rate from the horrible conversion rate that so many SaaS companies seem to suffer from, to something that's better. Yeah, that cost is paid back quickly.
1: Yeah, interesting.
0: So, anyway, so that was that book. Uh, Okay. What's next on yours?
1: Okay, another one that I read uh, recently was called "The Halo Effect." Do you know that book, "The Halo Effect"? Phil Rosenzweig. No. That also really interesting. Um, His premise is that a lot of the our, our business thinking is shaped by he calls them he says they're delusions <laughs> flawed judgment sure that's distorted because of a company's performance. So for example, if a company's if a company does well, we often the halo effect is, oh my gosh, they've got amazing leadership, and they're so strategic, and they've got an, a, a fantastic culture and a visionary leader. And if if the company's not doing well, we say, ah, well, the leader wasn't any good. The, the company didn't know their strategy. They mm-hmm, couldn't mm-hmm. execute. And actually, if you start to dig and do some of the research not necessarily the case. I mean if a company does well, some of those things need to exist but companies that don't do well it's not that it's not necessarily because they don't have that because they didn't execute effectively yep. they may have been out executed by someone or they may have made a call on strategy that took them a direction where they didn't didn't win but it was just a really interesting sort of again, way to think about just because a company's doing well, I don't need to think, and and you do hear this a lot. I hear this from the VCS that we've I've worked with in the past. They'll want you to go talk to X,Y,Z person at a certain company because they assume anybody at that company at any level, they're doing it well. Well, they're not necessarily well, no. they may have one piece that is, another that's not. So it was a it was a it was a really it was a good read.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I like that because it's it's what it's saying is, and this has come up. People have done studies of the success of Google's and other the right. Google and other companies that have, you know, sort of broken out and really become gigantic successes. Saying we tend to underestimate the impact of luck.
1: Uh, luck! It, it definitely, we underestimate the impact of luck in there.
0: Right place at um, the right time.
1: Market conditions mm-hmm. for one or the other. There's like he talks about the delusion of a single explanation. Mm -hmm. So it's typically it's not uh, the leader, or it's not oh my god they execute so well. There's a lot of things that may that factor into it. Um, Yeah, so I really it was it was definitely a very thought provoking, just also sort of a fun, sort of a fun read.
0: Well, I think that. To some degree, it seems to me like it sort of relates a little bit to what uh, Colvin was talking about, and that you know these differences—it's it's humans, right? I mean, we got <laughs> we have humans at the helm, and you know fundamentally flawed, and we're neither as, yes. as successful or as bad as we might appear to be. It's just you know people trying and things. As I said, it, yeah, some companies do a great job executing a plan, but even then. You know, there's there's luck that happens, and so hey, that's okay. I mean, I I I agree with you. I mean, there's always been this sort of you've seen this in Silicon Valley a lot, sort of this hero cult developed from certain certain companies, and you know, certainly were a lot of smart people at that company, but but that wasn't necessarily the reason.
1: Yeah, and and. I guess for me also is I'm guilty of being enamored and putting this halo effect on people or departments or companies because they've got, you know, they've had good performance at some point in time. And it's, yeah, there's there's things that they've done well, but this doesn't mean that Everybody there has been responsible, so no. I, I, am the one who tends to put a halo on. So it was, well, a, it was good for me to to well, just catch myself in that.
0: Right, and we do that because of, in part, because of data. Right, increasingly, you know, the information we consume is in the form of data. Right. You know, for people that that uh, you know, the journalism we see online, the writing we see online, there's a greater reliance on on data. And as we've spoken about in the show and another book that I interviewed the author on, Accelerate, uh, called Every Data, the Misinformation, the Little Data We Consume Every Day, Mm. is we are just horrible at understanding the meaning of data. You know, we take data and shape it to fit our worldview as opposed to using Data and really understanding what's behind the data, what's behind the variables, what's behind the what's the context that that it was collected in, uh, you know what what was it really testing? We just oftentimes we don't have that information, but we also we don't we don't stop to think as as John H. Johnson, author of that book, said is we don't stop to think. Okay, we should be asking before I consume this data. Let me ask myself what's missing here right what don't i know about this data before i just use it to <laughs> confirm what i already believe
1: yeah and he talked a lot about that uh, a lot about that very point is that uh, he, he even talked about books like good to great and in search of excellence mm-hmm. and that sometimes even the the data collection that we can make it's a better story it's a better. They it, it told a better story, and we're attracted to these great wild stories. You do these three things, and you know you'll go from good to great. Or they had these eight qualities, um, and and we can, as you said, we can make data say, God, a lot of different things. We can confirm our own biases, which we know. So, yeah, he, he d- did talk a lot about, uh, talked talked a lot about the the data portion of it as well.
0: Well, and it it for me it it brings back a um, thinking about this. I saw this. Uh, I'm a soccer fan, and I was on one of my soccer sites this week <laughs> looking in, and there was a a clip from coach of uh, the Colorado Rapids, which is a team in Major League Soccer, and the coach a guy named Pablo Mastroeni, who mm-hmm. longtime player in the U.S., uh, both club and U.S. national team. I think still one of the most decorated players on the US national team in terms of number of appearances but but you know soccer is like every other sport and the data has has been used big time right big data all the sabermetrics in baseball and the equivalent metrics that that people harp on in certainly soccer is is no exclusion to that and he just had a a tough loss and and he was sort of being hammered by people about you know, his tactics and why don't use this because the metrics say that and so on, and and I, just, I don't know he had a I took down I actually transcribed part of what he said, which I thought was really interesting because again it, it speaks to how we're so easy to want to just rely on the data and we forget about the human, and and so I'll just read his quote because I he was kind of frustrated when I said I said, you know, pundits and the people who like to comment on the game will look at possession and shots on goal and all those kinds of metrics that have very little to do with heart and courage Mm. and the the commitment to each other. And Mm. so it gets back to saying it's okay to be who we are. And he said, people have lost the plot with all these passing and shooting percentages and saying, if you shoot from this spot on the field and do it 12 times, you will score. Well, I'll tell you what. This is him saying, I'll tell you what, the stats will lose to the human spirit every day of the week. That's beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And it's beautifully written.
1: Yeah, beautifully written, beautifully said.
0: Yeah, he spoke it. Right. So, and then he got up and left. <laughs> he had a very short press conference. Mm. And he got taken to task on social media afterwards because mm. people were saying, oh, you're denying the validity of metrics. And it's like, no, that's not it at all. The metrics are important. You know, it's important in, in our business and sales. But ultimately, it's about passion. It's about connection. You know, As sellers, right? We, this human aspect of who we are makes a difference. It doesn't matter what the stats say. At the end of the day, it's still about us.
1: It's still, I and you know what, that is so, that was so well written. And as you said, it could apply to salespeople the same, that yes, there are these, uh, how many calls, how many dials, how many connections, how many discovery calls, how many POCs, how, that's all important. But what do you bring to it? With each call, what do you bring mm-hmm. to it? With each discovery call, what do you bring to it? With each, and that passion, and that all of that, the resilience, and all these other qualities, that's what really makes it. And I think that's that's what makes a difference, the difference between a great rep and a good rep,
0: mm-hmm. also. Yeah. Well, it's the power of the human spirit. So I, I just I really like that. I'm gonna. Probably by the time this airs, I'll written about it because I just think it's.
1: I think it's worth writing. I mean, that's yeah,
0: very powerful.
1: Really, really powerful.
0: Okay, so I guess back to me, a book. Um, I guess we only have time for the last one here. Is is brand new book that's out? I think it comes out the week this episode airs. I was fortunate enough to have an advanced copy and and talk to the author, which is a new book by Anthony Iannarino. I uh, just. Within the last year, he published his first book, the only sales mm. guide you'll ever need, and then, somewhat ironically, follows it with a second book, which puts the lie to the first book. Um, mm. Apparently, you do need two sales guides, but <laughs> um, this book is called "The Lost Art of Closing," um. and it's a good book because it's not about closing in the sense that we throw the term around in sales and it's, you know, none of that silly stuff about being a closer. It's about how you, throughout your entire process, how you gain commitments that enable you to take the next step, that lead to the next step, that lead to the next step, that lead to getting the ultimate commitment from the customer, which is to buy your product or service. And mm-hmm. very well structured. Very you know, Anthony is a very smart guy, uh, very good writer. So mm-hmm. it's it's um, it's a valuable book. People want to pick it up and read it and. Even people have been in business for, in sales for a long time, you know, it always helps to get another perspective about how you shape what you do. And, and, uh, I said, well done on Anthony's part.
1: Yeah, I'll look forward to reading that. We were on, uh, we had a podcast with him, and he's, like I said, he's smart. Guy. Like you said, he's a smart guy. And I'll, um, even though he did have to write a second book to prove the lie <laughs> of the first book, that it was the only one you need. I'm not well, gonna I'm not going to uh ding him for that
0: that was you know the first the the title of the first book was not his title so okay, okay. yeah so I, I'd we'll actually I'd actually I'd actually interviewed him once about the the first book before he he was gonna publish it himself and then he submitted it to a publisher and mm-hmm. they they took it on and and so they changed the title and everything so we had to do a redo that whole interview because the structure of the book and the the title changed completely but um yeah, he actually submitted. I think two books, or they knew there was two books coming. So, nonetheless, uh, that's a good book. So, uh, we'll leave leave the other books we're going to talk about till next time we talk about books. There are more, and
1: we'll have and we'll have more. That's
0: right. Yeah, that lots. I've been reading lots of books recently. So, and many many more to come. Unfortunately, to some degree, but I enjoy reading. Right, you so, would have
1: to. You would have to. And what you do if you didn't enjoy reading is yeah. you'd... That'd be tough.
0: Yeah. Well, I think for all of us in sales, right? If we don't enjoy reading, why are we in the business? Yeah, if we're not going to learn. That's right. So, uh, that's another discussion I had with somebody that we'll have at a future time about about that particular topic on continuous learning. Because that's... We've talked about it before, but it's it's a topic we need to come back to again because it's Ever more important in light of some of what we talked about even today in, in our last episode about you know how you continue to be relevant and add value going into the future. It's yeah, you can improve, you know, your your empathy, your your ability to collaborate, your teamwork, so on, but at the same time you still need to become more and more of an expert in what you sell and your customers. So we'll get to that.
1: That's right. I look right. forward to
0: it. Bridget, as always, fantastic. Fantastic talking to you. See, I took your I took your word.
1: I like it. You can you I I I'll, you can borrow it.
0: I'll be a lieutenant. Fantastic. You can be captain. Right. Fantastic. I'll be a lieutenant. All right, fantastic. lieutenant. Okay, All right, perfect. lieutenant. All right. So we'll have a great weekend. And friends, thank you for spending this time with us on Friday. If you're listening to it on Friday, um, as always, make sure you come back. Join us again next week. In the meantime, make sure you listen to episodes of Accelerate. Lots of great content there, Bridget. Until next week. Until next week. Have a great one. Thanks.